Welcome to Young Black in America podcast, the podcast where we talk about being young black in America. I'm your host, Jeremiah Davis. Jamal Davis. And we're Young Black in America podcast. Okay, and today's topics are Black Twitter reacts to CBS not assigning any black reporters for the for the 2020 presidential election coverage. Black women are leading the stars in racial justice. The U.S. shutdown affects African American federal workers the hardest. A beginner's guide to Afrofuturism for 2019. And for a nigga milestone, Misty Elliott is inducted into the Songwriter Hall of Fame. Are you ready, Ma? Mm-hmm. All right, let's begin, my friend. Um, what's the first topic? As I said, it, he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> the first topic is as um how is how is Black Twitter feeling about the um reporters being assigned for the uh, twenty twenty presidential election campaign with CNN. So, so CBS ain't assigned no black people to cover the presidential election for twenty twenty, and Black Twitter's really pissed off about this. They're not having it. That's the that's the first topic. I mean, I, I think it's crazy. I mean, how do you not get one black person to 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 work for the election campaign? They don't like y'all niggas. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like you don't even you don't even think maybe maybe you should get Lasante to be on the coverage team just just to have one. Does yeah. have a face? Have, yeah. a, have a token. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think it's like anything else. I don't. It doesn't surprise me. I think people were more surprised that if black people aren't in these rooms, they don't get thought of. That shows you that there's a room full of white people who are assigning reporters. Like, I bet you, are, I bet you, there's no are, black people assigning these reporters, or there would have been a black reporter assigned. Well, I'm, but there are black reporters at CBS. Oh, I'm not saying there's not black reporters. I'm oh, saying the people who are assigning. The reporters to do oh, these okay. stories. I'm saying those people, the okay. management team. Oh, okay. I'm not saying there's not black people who work at CBS. I'm saying the people who whose job is to figure out what what reporter covers what topics. How many of those are African Americans? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's and that's a discussion that I think always gets ignored when these things come out. And that's when any type of social media way, especially on black Twitter, if it goes out from what is it, the coolest monkey in in, in the jungle show to the little to the little to the little black um key shame we talked about before. It's like there's no black people in the rooms to be able to tell these to tell these people of other races that this is not socially acceptable. So if they're not here to heal this, they will not Take it into consideration. Yep. So they just think it's okay. I'm, I'm looking at the names, and they have two Asian people, um, at least a Latino lady, an Arabic dude, and just some white dude. They probably thought the Arabic dude counts. <laughs> What's his name? What's the Arabic dude's name? Musa. Yeah, he count. He Muslim. He Muslim. <laughs> I can't even say. It's like Musa. Bizarre. 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 I think it's Bizarre. But I'm just saying, they at least thought, they at least thought, oh, we should have an Asian woman, oh, we should have a Hispanic woman, we should have Arabic dude, but the, just, the, uh, it, it just, it just stopped when they thought, oh, maybe we should have a black person. <laughs> like, I think that's the craziest thing to me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 
this, I mean, this is after Steve King, Iowa Republican, which we're going to talk about later in the show, um, you know, defended white supremacy and then uh, and call about what white nationalism and white supremacy and Western civilization and how did all this language suddenly become offensive? If that is like our current culture in America, I think it's very important that um, we have black folk who can at least address this and who can at least give this a little bit more light and more credence than like other folk. Okay. I think it's important that we have. Um, you know, a diverse range of voices because these are these people will be able to speak more personally and more about like what it actually what this stuff actually means. You know what I'm saying, Jamal? No, I agree. I think that you do have to have more diverse um, audiences, but I think people have to be conscious that a lot of these companies and organizations they don't like inside the higher ups. Once you get into management, like there might be African Americans and very different um, ethnic. Eth ethnic groups working at these at these organizations, but that doesn't mean that the management teams aren't solely white, you know. So I think that has to be a something that's constant. But we got some tweets. What's some of the tweets saying? Well, it, it starts off with AOC, <laughs> your favorite person. AOC. Yeah, she said this White House admin has have been making a fundamental understanding of race in America, and one of the most important core competencies for the political journalist to have. Um, yet CBS News have, hasn't assigned a single black journalist to cover the 2020 election. Unacceptable in 2019. Try again. Ocasio Cortez tweeted on Saturday. And then this, the follow-up tweet by Pam Rangberg. She said, "Thank you so much for making the making that observation. I also no longer watch Face the Nation due, due to his lack of black representation and his few and far between." And then she also followed up with another tweet. Do you understand how fundamental the black experience is to American politics and to American history? One race isn't suitable for another, and it doesn't work like that. It's not about having quotas. It's about understanding the, the country you live in. News organizations with no black people around or Latino folks, etc., are generally clueless about reporting on said groups. Hard to believe that there still needs to be these conversations in 2019. I don't think it's hard to believe. I think it makes yeah, a lot of sense that these you know. conversations take place in 2019. I mean, I think a lot of people forget that, you know, black people just got the right to vote fully 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, that is, this isn't like, I hate when people act like, oh, this is, a, it was 100 years ago. No, this is very recent history. There's people who grew up and was adults and were still not able to vote. You know, hey, there's people who remember, you just, grand, there are grandparents out there who remember owning black people. Like, there are people who are old enough to remember, oh, my grand, like, my, my granddad owned black people. Like, like that's a real thing. Like, they, they can consciously remember it. They might never own them themselves, but the people out there who can remember in their family owning black people, which we're going to talk about that later, just owning people. It's, it's so crazy that people still own people. Mm -hmm. But, um, yes, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I don't think it's surprising. I think it makes sense in today's war, and today's will probably one of the most segregated and divided societies that we've been in a really long time especially when you look at ideologies and tying those into it it's definitely uh has been a very interesting time to be alive and i think 2019 i think 2018 we've seen a lot of it and i think moving forward into 2019 we're going to see probably even more of it too what's our next topic jamal um our next topic is black is um black women leading the way 
and environmental justice. Okay, so, so what's that article about, Jamal? You read any about it? Um, so this is basically just talking about how how black women are in the front lines of of fighting for environmental justice, and it comes and it gives a few examples of how they are doing this and the ways that they are reading. And also brought some really cool names and some really awesome projects that they've been participated in. There's a really cool YouTube video in, in the link description. I think people should check it out about the narrative um, around like black activism who are interested in joining the environmental justice fight. Some really cool work that they're doing out of the um, University of Michigan for sustainability. And it also talks a lot about some of the um, studies and some of the hardships that comes with being being a black person who is fighting for environmental and justice. And it's um, it's interesting that in the article they uh, mentioned that a lot of a lot of people think that issues that black people care about, such as um, such as um, affordable housing and health care and wage equality, police brutality, sexual assault, etc. Uh, they're all linked to the nation's history, but a lot of a lot of black people, not black folk, but a lot of activists, they leave out the very important issue of their environment and how black people are more likely to live in areas that are heavily more polluted, um, have lead in their water, live in homes with lead paint, or or has been built off top of carcinogenic areas, and um, these are all issues that. Um, that environmental racism, um, environmental justice, excuse me, um, aims to address, you know. Um, the EPA defines environmental justice as the treatment and meaningful involvement of all people regardless of race, color, national origin, income with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. Like the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, the environmental justice movement began at the grassroots level. And many of these groups were um, headed up by black people and, and black men and women. But particularly it has been black women who have been leading the movement since the early years. Um, um, interesting, the NAACP, um, a few years ago, they created uh, the environmental um, justice and racial um, racial. Um, climate racism I think that's the name climate racism committee um, where they examine um, where they headed up at, that's actually is a very crucial issue um, within the um, within the um, the organization and you know I, it's very interesting that especially their black women are leading the charge and leading the way for another uh, important issue of the black American life yeah they're out here doing it doing it well um, we're going to have a big shout out to Misty Elliott for being inducted into the um, Songwriter Hall of Fame. One of the only females, African American females, to ever be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't know about Misty, but Misty has some of the great hits, you know, from from um, get that from get that free going to so many so many others that Misty has put out over the years. Like awesome collaborations with artists such as Jay Z, um, Fifty Cent. Ludacris, uh, it's just, it goes on, if you know what, if you know what Misty's about, she's about it, her famous song, Work It, another classic Misty Elliott song. And also tweet at us with your favorite Misty Elliott song, um, so I can listen to some of them. Yeah, so you know <laughs> who, who Misty is, she's, a, she's definitely, I think, a, a, um, 
I'm a, a very iconic female MC, one that paved the way for so many other women to enter hip hop. I don't think it's really, it's really justified. I mean, before the it. show, I, we were mentioning you were singing one of the songs, like um, "Get Your Freak On." Yeah, "Get Your Freak On." That's my and song, I was like, man. that sounds like something Nicki Minaj was singing. Song, and then he gave me a little bit of a schooling. <laughs> yeah, song, man. Uh, so we also have how is the how is the longest ever in history government shutdown affecting um, black federal black federal locals the hardest. So you want to talk about yeah, that one? Yeah, I read one? this article a few days ago, and I wanted to talk about it on the show. Um, a lot of black a lot of black people are federal workers, and because they live within the uh, metro DC area of Prince George County in the sector, where there's a lot of black people who work for the federal government a lot of black people live pay the paycheck especially in prince george county and and not even exclusively about prince george county but just around range where black people are live around and are employed by the government um their safety net is put at risk i in the article they mentioned this one woman she says she's almost 50 and she you know she she feels like she feels like she's a failure because she has to move back into her her mom's home because she she doesn't know if she's gonna lose her you know her live her housing situation mm-hmm. because she's not getting paid and that's no fault of hers like it's the fault of the Congress and the president in my opinion and you know it's gonna have a huge impact because a lot of a lot of black folk see government jobs as a long time as a as a job that you can get as mm-hmm. a good job good paying job that helps and has and has been proven to help black people get out of poverty so and it's and it's sad because you know a lot of these people are they're lose they're not getting paid and this is just not black people but the people in general aren't getting paid and and, and that's heartbreaking you know and some and some contractors they will never get paid so what's your opinion on that Jamal? oh i think too is this, is it one is this is crazy that i was reading another article like about seeing it was saying like 78 percent of americans live paycheck to paycheck so when you really think about that just as the overall problem that's something that is hugely uh hugely, hugely dramatic that you live paycheck to paycheck the second thing is that of course it's going to affect black people the hardest because they have worked so hard for so many years and the ideology like you were saying of how government jobs are secure good jobs but you're going to see a lot more of this i don't think this is like the first thing that i think this is the first way to happen because this government shutdown is not going to end anytime soon it doesn't look like it's going to end next week it doesn't look like it's, it's quite it's like this this could be a long haul shutdown it could be something that sustains a long time so I think we as we as we as a people and as a culture, we have to start to look at other ways to build black wealth and black economic wealth, which is something that we talked a lot about on this show, from <laughs> from housing, from housing as a case in to um, starting your own business, to starting your own businesses. Like we've preached about this a lot. So I think this is something that we have to start to move towards as a culture and accept the fact that government is not is not always the securest way to make it out of poverty, even if it might seem like it is at a time that you're still at the mercy of some really shady characters, depending on how it, depending on how elections goes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think it's sad. I think it's unfortunate. I hope at some point they can, they can work between Congress and um, the president. They can work, they can work these things out and we can actually reopen government and, and maintain, because if not, things are going to get a lot harder for people. It's, it's not, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. That's kind of where I'm. Where I kind of see things at. Uh, so our last topic is we want to talk about Black Futurism. Did we mention that? 
Yeah, we missing by a few swism at the beginning of the show. I'm missing by a few swism. He wasn't paying attention. I'm missing by a few swism. That was one of the last topics I missed it. Okay. Was the beginner's guide to black few swism for 2019. So, so I, I love before we start, what is black fusilism for people who don't know? I was about to introduce it. Okay, introduce it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a I love sci-fi. I love Star Trek and all that stuff. But you know, sci-fi is pretty white. <laughs> and, it is pretty white. And Afrofuturism was a term a term coined by Mark Duray in 1994, and it has been a long part of Black culture actually for you know even before that. But it was officially given that term in 1994. Afrofuturism is a is it is blending the african diaspora with science technology philosophy and afrofuturism is a way for black people to be seen and expanded on new ideas to shape our future on our own and it's actually interesting because a lot of uh, if you look at it, if you study um, afrofuturism there's a great book uh, about afrofuturism by this um, black female author i don't know I, i'm her name is in the title of the book is going out but you just google afrofuturism book novel it will oh, okay. pop up <laughs> um but you know especially after future we had a, a great year in 2018 with the release of black panther yeah which had, that was a pretty yeah, movie. which had which was a perfect example of of afrofuturism blending african ideas and thoughts along with black and with the black american experience with technology and uh, technology and spaceships and and super suits and and all the like. Um, Janelle Monae, um, Janelle Monae's "Dirty Computer" um, album, which is a which is a lovely uh, a lovely uh, um, love letter to Afrofuturism, and it's also it's also you know because a lot of Janelle Monae works um, can be considered and fall into Afrofuturism with his uh, with his um, sci-fi and um, you know um, futuristic tone and you know it's really cool especially when she had the the one when she had the robot one that was a that was an interesting album um tommy tommy adamani's on uh, children of blood and bone i never read this book but some people are saying it's like the black version of harry potter it's called blood and bone children of blood and bone oh, wait a second and it's, a mix, and it's a mix of african mythology and and other stuff it's really interesting I mean, I haven't gotten around to read it because I'm not a big fan of young adult novels, though. But I mean, I'll even though I'm a young adult, but I, I just don't like those novels. Um, and you supposed, know, supposed to be a movie coming out about it. Yeah, actually. it is. I know she she got she got her movie rights by like the first couple weeks of like the publishing of the book. Um, Octavia E. Butler. Anything? Oh, by anything by Octavia and Butler. Get Parable of the Soul. Mm-hmm. Great book. You know. Uh, but it's all Afrofuturism because it's all black people and sci-fi. And, you know, anything basically with black people and sci-fi is Afrofuturism, in my opinion. With there's, But there has to be a focus on, on uh, African themes because sci-fi as a genre really does focus on exploring human themes. And Afrofuturism is just looking at that from an African perspective or from a black American perspective. Another one that you that you most likely will like and know, The Wiz. Mm-hmm. The Wiz is a great combination of black culture and mysticism and sci-fi. Well, 
a little bit of sci-fi, but not so much because it's like a Wizard of Oz. I mean, I think too. I think these these works of Afrofuturism is probably more important now than ever. Because this is a starting off as such a young age, it's an easy way to get young African American, just youth in general, excited about characters who are walking like them, who are going to be moving into the the workforce that they're going to be working in. They're going to be working in these high-end technical jobs. They're going to be working with computers a lot. They're going to be working with empathy, like devices. It's going to, it's going to be such a different world than how they've how they preordained work and how their parents worked, you know, because if mom was a nurse's aide or, or dad was a garbage man, you have to come away from that thinking these jobs are a bus rival or most likely going to be automated in the next few years. Um, so having kids kind of really think about that they can become not just consumers of technology, but producers of it and doing it through art and through film and through literature, I think is probably one of the best things in the world. Like one of my favorite superheroes of all time is, Cy- is Cyborg. He became one of my favorite superheroes because he was a black teenage class robot guy. And he was really cool, he was intelligent. So just being able to introduce people to these ideologies that, that they can invent technology, I think is, is something that very good. And one of the and one of the and we can't forget Sun Ra, space is a plane. uh, Space is a place. (laughs) Um, I never listened to it, but apparently it's like a really big deal in Afrofuturism circles. So, audience, what are your favorite Afrofuturism works? What are your favorite works with a bunch with black sci-fi and stuff like that? And audience, if you write black sci-fi, oh sorry, if you write black sci-fi, tweet at us at Young Black in America on Twitter. Make sure you send your audio reactions on Anchor. And also that if you want to throw us some coins, you can also donate us on Anchor as well. Um, I'm Jeremiah. I'm Zimal. And we're Young Black in America Podcast.